On this episode of Emergence, I'll be talking to Dr. Daniel Baltrin Acruda about lumpy skin disease and the pilot training course that the FAO are currently running. Welcome to the Emergence Podcast, brought to you by MSD Animal Health and hosted by me, Alistair King. All views expressed are those of myself and my guests. I know there's a lot of background noise at the moment. That's because I'm currently walking on the Tappan Zee Bridge across the Hudson River as part of our Rabies 360 Challenge, more of which later. The main part of this podcast, though, is talking to Dr. Daniel Beltranokrudo, who's an animal health officer at the FAO. He's currently set up a pilot training project on lumpy skin disease. So I was able to talk to him about the program itself and also about lumpy skin disease and the threats that it holds currently for the world. Dr. Okrudo is, as I say, he's an animal health officer for the FAO, the Food and Agricultural Organization, and he works as a veterinary epidemiologist, so he's tracking and coordinating diseases and understanding them. He's got a long history with doing training programs as well, which really helps him with designing what is a strong training course, and my colleague John Atkinson has been taking part. But let's hear what Dr. Daniel Dalton Crudo has to say about the course. great to be able to be joined by Daniel Beltran Acrudo, who's Animal Health Officer for the FAO. And Daniel has been responsible for the online training in lumpy skin disease that the FAO is now piloting. This is a really interesting approach to training and recognising what's going on. So it's great to have a chance to talk to Daniel and find out more about why the FAO are taking this approach. Thank you for joining us, Daniel. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I think before we just get into that discussion about the course itself. You're an animal health officer for the FAO. Do you want to just tell us a little bit about that as a role? What what does that actually involve? So um, FAO is the Food and Agriculture Organization of of the United Nations, and uh, it's uh, headquarters in Rome. And as the name says, it covers quite a wide range of uh, different uh, technical areas. Uh, from forestry, fisheries to animal production and animal health. So my my profile is as an animal health officer, more precisely as, a, as an veterinary epidemiologist. And I'm based in uh, in the office in Budapest, which is the regional office for Europe and Central Asia, which means that basically we take care of uh, liaising with uh, those countries. So the main role of FAO in the field of animal health is to provide technical assistance to countries. So our usual counterparts are the veterinary services, but we do also work with NGOs, with uh, farmers and farmers associations. We work sometimes with uh, forestry agencies or uh, those in charge of wildlife management. All projects are, of course, uh, slightly different, but uh, we tend to focus mostly on issues related with capacity building, awareness raising, some degree of procurement for laboratory or for field activities, and capacity building. That's basically that's basically where, where we usually focus our efforts. This course is about education, and anyone who's listened to my previous podcast know I get very excited about education. I think it's really important. Do you want to tell us just a little bit about what this course is what what you're aiming for with it? Uh, maybe I will provide you first with a bit of background on how the idea of this course started. So, uh, lumpy skin disease has been uh, has been around Europe, the Balkan Peninsula, for quite a bit. In order to prepare countries that were encountering this disease for first time, we started by um, providing with face to face trainings. In fact, in order to uh, train as many 
uh, of the field responders as possible, and these are the, the field veterinarians, we, we developed a training of trainer or cascade training approach that allowed us to very quickly translate and implement in each country. So this was the approach that we took, but then we realized that given the, the very fast spread of the disease, we need to move into, uh, into online uh, format. Uh, online training has a number of very obvious advantages. First of all, perhaps that it allows us to, to train in one single training up to several hundreds of, uh, of veterinarians at once. They might be sitting in uh, different locations uh, in, in different countries. And uh, so it's, it's really good. It's very cost-effective approach for training. In addition, it allows for participants to learn at their own pace. So rather than having to be physically in a classroom over a period of time, they can actually log in into the, into the online course and go through the materials at their own pace whenever they have a time available. And I think uh, in these times of uh, COVID-19, uh, restrictions for traveling and for face-to-face meeting. It was very timely that we decided to do this because uh, because it's been really, really useful to be able to continue our, our training of, of uh, veterinarians around the world. Um, when we decided to go into online training, uh, we um, partnered with the European Commission for uh, Foot and Mouth Disease. That's a, that's a European commission, but it's, fa- it's based within, within FAO. And they have developed a platform over the years and an approach to online training. So we wanted to, to utilize their expertise. So what we did is we worked together with technical experts from the Friedrich Löffler Institute in Germany and our own in-house expertise to develop the materials. And then those were adapted uh, by EUFMD uh, thanks to their know-how on uh, online training and, and like on how to convert these materials for, for that format. And that's uh, that's basically where we are now. We are now piloting the, the course in order to get some uh, feedback. So for this uh, pilot course, we actually invited not just field veterinarians, but also about 30 uh, to 40 uh, lumpy skin disease experts that who could provide us with the, with the feedback. That's a really good mix. I find it quite interesting you, you've chosen lumpy skin disease in that, okay, this disease arrived in Europe a couple of years ago, just over a bit longer than that, actually. And But good vaccination and rapid vaccination has actually generally got this disease fairly under control to the degree a lot of people are now already starting to forget about it as a disease. Why did you pick lumpy skin disease as a suitable subject for one of these courses? This is an, an excellent question. So as you rightly mentioned, the disease is uh, jumped out of Africa relatively recently. In Africa, it's endemic. It uh, gradually moved into the Middle East, through Turkey, and then into the Russian Federation and the Balkans. And uh, as you rightly said, the disease is now uh, under control in the Balkans through a very effective regional approach for, for mass vaccination, combined with movement restrictions and, uh, and like, different uh, camping out approaches. I mean, it, it took a while uh, to find out like what was the, the right the right combination of measures for, for this to be efficient, but uh, it definitely relies a lot on, on vaccination. And which is why we we had projects to assist, uh, to provide technical assistance to countries in the region, uh, both in the Balkans at the beginning, and then we have another project on preparedness to, to develop capacity building and preparedness in Moldova, Belarus, and uh, Ukraine. So we've, worked, we've been working for, with the disease for about four years, something like that. And uh, a lot of expertise was developed, not just in-house, but also in the region. I mean, um, like as I said, it was a new disease. So before the expertise was mostly, mostly in, in Africa and in a completely 
different endemic situation. So the disease, unfortunately, has not stopped spreading. So while the disease is under control in the Balkans now, countries like Turkey, like uh, Middle East, and more recently, three, four countries in Asia continue to report outbreaks. Particularly, the situation in Asia is quite worrisome because we are talking about countries like uh, India, China, uh, Bangladesh, Nepal, uh, which have some of the highest bovine populations in the world. And uh, we thought that there is a lot of uh, lessons learned from the experience in the Balkans that could be applied in other countries. We fear that the disease is not going to be controlled as easily uh, in Asia as it was controlled in the Balkans. In fact, in the Balkans, I wouldn't say it was easily controlled. It was still like a like a very huge coordination effort of countries and like with uh, lots of funds coming from the European Commission for vaccination. So it's it's a disease that, unlike African swine fever, has a very clear control strategy based on vaccination. But nevertheless, uh, vaccinating uh, huge populations of cattle is, is, is never easy, particularly because animals have to be revaccinated on a yearly basis. So it's, it's a huge challenge, both um, human resources to logistics and, and equipment. Of course, because it's a vector-borne disease, that makes it more complicated as well, doesn't it? Because these vectors can travel large distances, as we've seen with, with other diseases such as blue tongue. We talk about transboundary diseases, and there's a reason for that. They do travel so quickly and so easily, especially where we are in the world at the moment. Indeed, I mean, like the, having a vector-borne disease to deal with, it's, it makes things uh, much more complicated. Uh, in this case, uh, it's already difficult to control borders from the movement of uh, illegal smuggling of, uh, of meat products or milk or, or live animals. But uh, when it comes to vectors, it's, uh, it becomes uh, an impossible task. It's a vector-borne disease, but uh, the vectors are mechanical rather than biological. So basically, any blood-feeding insect can be a, a very efficient uh, vector, from mosquitoes to, um, to stable flies, ticks. All of them have been proven to, to be efficient uh, vectors for the disease. However, and not to forget that while the disease uh, will move uh, through vectors, like uh, some of the bigger jumps of the disease that we have observed have been mostly and most likely because of uh, movements of, uh, of live animals. So the big jumps that we've seen throughout Central Asia, throughout Russia, all the way into India, into China, those long jumps can only be explained because of the movement of, uh, of live animals or vectors. How, how animals are moving around and what we're doing remains really significant and of, of concern to what's going to happen with the diseases in the future. Say, certainly Europe has appeared to do a good job of stopping the ep epidemics. What do you think are the lessons for other regions from what we've seen in Europe? I think... Uh... Possibly the number one lesson is the need to uh, to develop a good vaccination strategy, to have the vaccination strategy coordinated across countries in the region, because as, you, as we just mentioned, um, this is a disease that's uh, moving uh, through vectors, throughout borders. And uh, very importantly, uh, to choose the right vaccine. Uh, the difference between choosing a good vaccine and a bad vaccine uh, implies uh, success or failure in, in, in your strategy. Quality of vaccines is is always a big area. We see it with foot and mouth disease an awful lot. We ran a mathematical modeling program 
to look at the difference between using high quality vaccine and low quality vaccine going for quality does make a big difference to to what you see in the way of disease control i'm sure that would be the same for lumpy skin disease but you mentioned regional coordination that again when i think about foot and mouth disease has sometimes been quite a challenge do you think that that was done that's been done well and how key was that really to the success we've seen I think the, the importance of regional coordination is not just only for the eradication of the disease, uh, but it's also very important for the exit strategy. So, I mean, if, if you want to, after the vaccination, be able to start trading again and like regain free status, uh, you need to be convinced that the situation across your borders is also, is also under control, because otherwise... As soon as the vaccination stops, the disease will be introduced in the following vector season. Another lesson learned from, uh, from the Balkan region was uh, the need to um, apply a stamping out strategy that can be full stamping out or can be like modified stamping out. But what's very important, it, does, it always has to be hand in hand with a timely and fair compensation program, uh, because otherwise it's going to be uh, counterproductive and farmers are not going to allow animals to be uh, to be slaughtered without any compensation so most likely there will be panic slaughter and sale of sale of the meat and the milk uh, animals will be hidden and in general there's not going to be a good cooperation on the farmer side so i think that's that's another important lesson learned that stamping out is a very important complementary approach to vaccination but when implemented it really needs to be hand in hand with a, with a compensation strategy i hadn't thought about the compensation on lumpy skin disease because I know African swine fever, that has certainly been a, an issue we've faced in the last couple of years that farmers have struggled with with that without getting compensation. There has been illegal trade in animals that are suspected to be infected for this reason. Do you think that that has actually happened with lumpy skin disease or are you just putting that as this is a risk? I mean, I think that the example of African swine fever is much clearer or when stamping out is like uh, it's critical also because with African swine fever, basically you don't have the vaccination tool. Uh, the good thing about lumpy skin disease is like it's, uh, it's not likely to spread via commodities. So meat, hides, milk, uh, even if they are infected, they are not likely to find a susceptible host to infect just because those commodities are basically destined, I mean, uh, targeting uh, human consumption or so it's, it's not going to find a, a host. The trade of commodities is probably not a very high risk. However, the trade of animals is. So if animals, sorry, farmers are trying to um, know that there's not going to be a compensation, they are likely going to move their animals somewhere else. And if those animals are infected, the disease will, will go with them to wherever they are moving to. The course itself, just going back to that, so it's a 10-hour tutored course, I think. How's that all been designed and what would someone expect if they went on the course? So the course is uh, structured around six modules. These modules basically cover in a chronological order, first like a general overview of the lumpy skin disease, which could be almost like a standalone module. Then it goes through the clinical diagnosis of the disease, the laboratory diagnosis of the disease, then the key aspects of epidemiology and how to conduct an outbreak investigation, monitoring and surveillance, and then it ends up with control and eradication with, of course, a very big stress on, uh, on vaccination. We also start the course with a webinar and we end up with another webinar. So the opening webinar 
is actually to introduce the course, introduce the disease, and uh, deliver some some key presentations by invited speakers. But uh, it's also an opportunity for uh, participants to start asking questions and to get a feeling for the course. The, the closing webinar, it's it's a bit also to discuss a bit the main questions that have appeared over the course of the course and also um, to provide some feedback to, to participants. But then I think what's particularly nice about the course, it's, it's the forum. There is a forum uh, where all participants have access. And in this forum, it uh, works both ways. So on the one hand, uh, there is like a number of tutors with different expertise. So in the case of the Lumpy Skin Disease course, I think we have four or five experts participating and uh, they are posing questions to participants on each of the modules. So the modules are structured over time, over four weeks, so that week one, you go module one and two, week two, you go module two and three, and so on. So each week, um, the tutors ask uh, participants uh, about questions, about their experience with the disease, about the situation in their country, about what do they think is the highest risk for introduction for the country and so on. And participants have to have to reply, but then it works both ways. Like uh, as participants go through the course, if they have any questions that they want to ask, they can post it there and those questions can be replied mostly by tutors, but then also all other participants uh, have the opportunity to share their experience. So it kind of creates a very nice uh, environment where like everyone can openly share their expertise and their opinion and things can be openly discussed. I think that's that's one of the, the attractive uh, points of the, of the course. Have you found that forum has worked? It sounds great what you're describing and I've tried some of those in the past. They don't always take off. It depends on who's involved and how it goes. So are you finding that forum is really engaging people? I think we have two types of uh, participants. Like there are some that really like to be active and some others that uh, might not be so active, uh, but still follow the course. Um, when the when the forum is overactive, it it can also create a problem that there is like too much to read and uh, people. I mean, people are not like uh, a bit overwhelmed with the amount of uh, of additional materials to read, no of questions and answers. Uh, so I think I think we have to find a balance. So we try um, not to ask too many questions if if there is already like an active discussion uh, within the forum, and uh, ask more questions if we see that uh, that uh, participants are being shy about it. So it doesn't always uh, work uh, perfectly. It depends a lot on uh, on how um, how much people like to to share their experience and ask questions. But so far, not just for the lumpy skin disease uh, course, but also with other courses that we have run, what we have seen is that uh, there is always like a very nice uh, participation and like uh, participants get uh, a lot from it. And uh, usually they they make contacts, uh, they identify experts, and it creates a sort of community of experts on that disease that can be then uh, approached if the need arises. So you can either contact an expert or you can contact like a veterinarian from the neighboring country who also was in the course. Are you judging it a success? And what are the plans for the future for similar courses? The the course is now uh, in full capacity and the forum is being very active. There's lots of very interesting discussions going on. And the feedback, the preliminary feedback so far is very positive. However, uh, we will be looking into the feedback of the course following the end of next week. It's a pilot. So what are the intentions for running the course in the future? The, we will uh, likely 
offer the course in other regions. So there is already interest from countries in uh, in Asia. Maybe just to add, I, I forgot to mention that uh, this course uh, targeted three types of participants. So we got like 40 to 50 lumpy skin disease experts. The second group are veterinarians nominated from the vet services in Asian countries. And the third group is veterinarians nominated uh, from the vet services in Europe and neighboring countries. So uh, that includes also uh, some Middle East countries. You, you said that some of the participants are from Asia. Do you think that Asia can learn from the European experiences with the disease and what kind of approach to actually follow? Yes, I think they, I mean, the course includes, of course, uh, lessons learned from, uh, from the Balkan region. But uh, not only. Uh, we are aware that each country needs a slightly different strategy and approach. And we, within the, within the course, we provide information on all different surveillance approaches and all different control approaches, all the different measures, how they can be adapted related to vector control, vaccination, movement control, and so on. So, of course, there is like a very um, clear recipe coming from the Balkans that has proven successful, but uh, the way how it's exactly implemented will depend on the country. So I think following uh, following a vaccination approach will definitely uh, allow countries to put the disease under, under control. Of course, uh, here we have, uh, we have issues to, um, to deal with first, which has to do most, have to do mostly with the capacity of veterinary services to purchase the good vaccine, to deliver it in the field, and to revaccinate uh, on a yearly basis. But even if for some countries eradication in the short term might not be feasible, what for sure it's possible is, is to keep the, the, the damage, economic damage and the, the restrictions and the, and the losses from the disease to a minimum. Lumpy skin, I think it would be reasonable to say for a long time it was a neglected disease while it was in Africa it didn't get a lot of attention. It's the fact it's spread out of Africa that's stirred up an awful lot. It means that not everything is known about this disease and how it transmits. We're doing some work with Perbright at the moment, which is really interesting, looking at the mechanical vectors and exactly how it is spreading. And I hope at some point to be able to have one of the PhD students from Perbright on to talk about what they're learning, because I think it's fascinating. With this pilot and having the forum, have you found gaps that you think we need to look into further? Yes, uh, as you said, this is a disease where there's like uh, multiple knowledge gaps. Probably the, the, the main one relates to the ecology of the disease and what vectors can transmit and which vectors are more efficient and where does the disease stay during the inter-epidemic periods and so on. There's also many uh, gaps related to the immune uh, reaction to the vaccine and to the disease itself and the protection and so on. So I think um, that's something that the course already highlights. We have involved some of the uh, most renowned experts on the disease to develop the course materials. And we have clearly highlighted within the modules which are the, the, the gaps, which are the, the holes in the knowledge that we need to fill in. And those are things that, of course, uh, as the course progresses in the coming years, we will fill those knowledge gaps as soon as the information becomes available. But we are presenting those knowledge gaps to the to the participants to make sure that they are aware 
of, of what we know and what we don't know about the disease. The re- research we need to do to really get that those views on it is going to be really helpful and hopefully this will push push that on a bit further. From the FAO looking at lumpy skin disease, what do you see as the future for this disease? Well, I think um, we have like uh, maybe four distinct regions. So I think in Africa at the moment, uh, the disease continues to be endemic, but uh, countries have learned to live with it and to minimize the damage it causes. Within Europe, uh, the disease is pretty much under control. And in the Balkans, they're already discussing uh, the exit strategy. So hopefully, even if there was like a reintroduction or re-emergence of the disease, it would be very quickly put under control again because uh, the latest strategy proved to be very efficient. Then we have the situation of the near and Middle East where like outbreaks come up and I mean, appear and disappear. And we do also have endemic situation in some uh, in some countries, but they have already been dealing with the disease for a bit more over a decade now. And then we have like the very dynamic situation now in, in Asia, uh, particularly in South Asia and China, where the disease has spread uh, very fast. Countries have started uh, vaccinating, but uh, I think we can expect that over the next few months, more and more countries will become affected. And, and like within some of the affected huge countries like India or China, the disease might be spreading still a bit more before it's put under control. I think uh, there is probably still a lot of uh, underreporting uh, going on and not a possibly a clear understanding on how the disease is, uh, is spreading exactly. So I think it's still going to take a years to at least get the disease until, under a relative control. So in terms of what FAO is uh, planning to do about this, well, as I said, I'm based in the, in the Europe region. So within our region, we will continue mostly working on improving and finalizing this online course. We will also convert the materials into face-to-face training as well, because in some cases, it's much more efficient to provide face-to-face training. So we will extract materials and convert them into PowerPoint, guidance, and so on. And uh, we will uh, continue also working on some other tools that we are developing. Uh, we have uh, standardized awareness materials that countries can quickly adapt and use. They are based on, on a PowerPoint formats so that logos, pictures, and contents can be easily adapted and translated to a new country. And we have posted those online so that they are easily accessible to whoever wants to use them. We are also uh, developing a tool to estimate the the cost of the disease and the cost benefit of different uh, strategies. This uh, cost benefit tool is based on Excel and comes up with a guideline and it allows, it has been tested already in uh, six countries, three infected countries and three at risk countries. So uh, we will continue finalizing this tool so that it also becomes available to any country that's affected or at risk anywhere in the world because putting a cost to a disease, it's often one of the critical points for vet services to raise awareness within their own governments and to get the funding needed to, to control the disease, to purchase vaccines and so on. I think that surveillance is going to be really important that True. What, you, what you've talked about is not 
not knowing where everything's going and again i beat the drum on this but cold spots where we can't see what's happening and we don't understand the disease well enough and there's a whole heap of reasons for that the lack of infrastructure in some cases for animal health another thing you mentioned the fact that reporting disease can cost farmers you know if you've got compulsory slaughter and farmers don't want to admit to things so they keep them quiet simply the lack of knowledge or the acceptance that animals get ill so that's something that's going to be really good to to keep building on as well on that surveillance side. Yes, that reminds me. There is a, a fourth area of work for us at the moment on lumpy skin disease is the development of a guide on good emergency management practices specific for lumpy skin disease. So good, good, emergency, good emergency management practices, uh, we also know as GEMP, that's a manual that was developed by FAO. And now we are applying those principles specifically to lumpy skin disease. So what we will try to cover there, we are providing uh, with, uh, for example, like a template for countries to develop a contingency plan for lumpy skin disease. We are also de uh, developing guidelines on how to conduct surveillance for early detection, particularly. We are also developing guidelines on how to uh, develop and implement a vaccination program on lumpy skin disease. Also on what are the key questions uh, when you want, when a country wants to, to conduct a risk assessment uh, on the entrance of entry of lumpy skin disease. And we also cover uh, more general issues on, on training, simulation exercises, and so on. So this is something we are working on that we hope to get ready within the next couple of months. That sounds really comprehensive. Sounds, that's going to be very helpful for for countries that have the disease coming in and aren't used to it. That's brilliant. I think the one important point you just mentioned is that this is a disease that up to little more than 10 years ago, it was restricted to just Africa. So every single country that's getting infected now has no previous experience with the disease. So not the veterinary services, but also farmers have never encountered it. And they're likely not to recognize it despite the very obvious signs. Lack of recognition in newly emerging diseases is clearly a a major concern. Lumpy skin, along with the others, it, it just doesn't come to mind. And uh, I remember training as a vet, and you know, you're told if you hear hoof beats, think horses, not zebras, and that's generally that's a good rule. It's the common things are common. Don't think about the the odd things. But with emerging diseases, they catch you out when you don't think about those slightly more exotic kind of sides. I think it's a really exciting course, really interesting. I love the approach. I probably, I, at my age means I'm always going to remain someone who is more a face-to-face -face kind of person. But being able to have a forum where you've got so many people talking and chatting about things, that in itself is such a big deal when you're trying to improve understanding of what's going on with disease. I think that's incredible that you've managed to get that that working. The whole course is really innovative and interesting so thank you very much for sharing your experiences and the thinking behind it it was a pleasure thanks for thanks for allowing me to talk a bit more about the about the course and like uh, what are our immediate plans thank you daniel at the beginning of the podcast i said i would explain a little bit more about why i was walking over the Tappan Zee Bridge over the Hudson River. Today's the 1st of September. Hopefully this podcast is coming out during this week. 
World Rabies Day is on the 28th of September. What we want to do is raise awareness about rabies. And we've picked the Rabies 360 Challenge. Part of that is that you pick 360 of something, anything you want to do in September. It might be hula hooping. It could be riding your bike for 360 kilometers, as John Atkinson is doing. It could be taking 360 photos. It, 360 of scoring goals. It doesn't matter what it is. But we want you to do 360 of something. I've picked 360,000 steps to walk on trails across New Jersey and New York. It seemed a really good place to start going across the Tappan Zee and just seeing these amazing views uh, of, of the Hudson. Why 360? 360 represents unity. It represents the world. It's a full circle. It represents one health. It's just an all-encompassing number that seems to fit very well. So we're figuratively taking that 360 number and then challenging you to do something with it. Uh, a friend of mine is picking up 360 pieces of litter. It really doesn't matter what it is. The key thing is posting on social media, of course. Let's raise awareness that rabies is still something we have to fight and we have to get rid of and we can eliminate. So using hashtag rabies360challenge, do something, post on social media. If you're not going to do something, at least retweet and repost what we're putting on to just get that momentum going. And then on World Rabies Day, the world will know that this is something we can eliminate and we should be trying to. The other thing to know on World Rabies Day, there will be a special edition podcast which is a roundtable discussion with Professor Katie Hampson from Glasgow University, Dr. Ryan Wallace from the CDC in Atlanta, and Dr. Fred Lure from Mission Rabies. I managed to get them all together in one call to talk about rabies and all of their experiences, what they see, and how we can make a difference for the future. I think it's going to be a really good podcast, well worthwhile tuning into. As I say, that one will be coming live on World Rabies Day. Just two more things before you go. GARA, the Global African Swine Fever Research Association, have just posted a number of videos on YouTube, which are from their keynote speakers, which they did in place of their 2020 conference. These cover recent epidemiological situations on different continents, updates on diagnostics and vaccines. They're really worthwhile looking at. So I'll put a link in the notes to the podcast and you can follow that to see those. And then our swine team recently did a webinar. The title was Our New Reality, The Need to Spread Knowledge Faster Than Epidemics. It was hosted by Dr. Cameron Khan, who's an infectious disease physician scientist, and is talking about how we can use big data to track disease and to apply it to pandemics, future epide epidemic threats, and really a One Health perspective on how we can control these diseases. It's really interesting information. It's really the future and what we need to be looking at. So again, I'll put links to that on our notes for the podcast. Thank you all for listening. Stay safe.